I will be reading this morning Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 28, uh, but I'll be um, preaching as far as verse 23. So, but let me read um, the whole passage, Luke 11, 14 to 28. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided on against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, which he trusted, and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest. And finding on it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Amen. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. May we see it. Let's pray again together. Almighty God, we praise you for who you are. You are the eternal, omniscient, omnipotent God. There is no power that exalts itself against you that can stand. We praise you, Lord, for the victory against Satan, and against all of the, the demonic horde that you have accomplished, that you are accomplishing, and that you will accomplish. Lord, the fight is too great for us. Our enemy is too powerful for us if we try to fight on our own. But we praise you, Lord God, that for those who are in Christ, we do not fight alone. 
For Lord Jesus, you fight for us. For Lord Jesus, you have accomplished victory for us and you will continue to accomplish victory for us until the end of time. And so Lord Jesus, as we look to this passage this morning, we pray that you would help us to see and to understand the fight that is before us. But Lord, help us to see far more than that. The power of the one who is fighting for us. Pray this for Jesus' sake. As Jesus continues his journey towards Jerusalem, controversy continues to swirl around him. And as we move move through chapter 11, the clouds on the horizon are getting darker. There are rumblings of a coming storm. Things are heating up between Jesus and the religious authorities. And the open contempt that for Jesus that has been largely the domain of the religious authorities is now infecting the crowd as well. It's becoming clearer and clearer that the events of Jesus' incarnation are hurling towards a confrontation that will result in his crucifixion. The response of these people provides a backdrop against which the inevitability of a decision regarding Jesus Christ is highlighted. Jesus is revealing that he is the dividing line. And the response to his words and his works reveal the response towards him. People will either accept Jesus or they will reject Jesus. There will be a response. Jesus necessitates a response. As I mentioned some time ago in the words of of Neil Peart, those who choose not to decide still have made a choice. Neil Peart made his choice. What is your choice? When Jesus' parents presented him in the temple in Luke 2, verses 34 and 35, Simeon had prophesied to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And back in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, we we looked at the, the parable of two houses. And Jesus asked the question, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? And with the ensuing parable, he said how one man heard and obeyed, and he was the one who had had laid a foundation and, and built his house upon the rock. But the other man, the foolish man, heard the words of Jesus and did not obey them. And he it is who has built his house on the sand. And when the storm came, and there is a storm coming, when the storm came, only one of those houses stood. It was the house of him who built his house on the rock. It was the house of him who had heard and done the words of Jesus. Well, we're going to look at the two kinds of houses again this morning. We'll look at this also, as I mentioned earlier, into next week as well. In verses 14 to 28, we're going to see a house divided, a house plundered, 
a house possessed, and a house blessed. A house divided, a house plundered, a house possessed, and a house blessed. Look at the first two this week. A house divided and a house plundered. So first of all, in verses 14 to 24, a house divided. The scene starts with an exorcism. Now we've read about many exorcisms already through our our studies of Luke's gospel account, but don't let your familiarity with these narratives cause you to overlook what is really taking place here. This is a spiritual battle between the Lord Jesus Christ and the forces of darkness. It is a cosmic war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Now, thankfully, we we don't witness much in the way of of demon possession in our, our day and culture, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But even without the wiles, even without actual possession, the subtlety of Satan's wiles makes him equally dangerous to us. One of the devil's most clever deceptions is to convince you that he doesn't exist. But it's not just that he convinces you that he's not real. He also convinces you that he is not a real and present threat. Satan is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5, 8. But he also lies in ambush, waiting to pounce. Thomas Brooks warns in his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. He says, From the power, malice, and skill of Satan proceeds all the soul-killing plots, devices, stratagems, and machinations which are in the world. Several devices he has to draw souls to sin, and several plots he has to keep souls from all holy and heavenly services. And several stratagems he has to keep souls in a mourning, staggering, doubting, and questioning condition. He has several devices to destroy the great and honorable, the wise and learned, the blind and ignorant, the rich and the poor, the real and the nominal Christians. Satan has plans and purposes against you. You need to be aware of the fight. You need to be fighting the fight with the strength of Christ within you. Jesus, we're told as this passage begins that he was casting out a mute demon out of a man. In Matthew's parallel account, we find that the man had also been blind as well. And we aren't given any details about how Jesus cast this demon out. He just did it. And the man is now able to speak. And Matthew tells us the man is also now able to see. Can you imagine not only being blind and mute, but being blind and mute because you are possessed by a demon. I hate even having a splinter under my skin. This man had a demon under his skin. But just like that, Jesus delivered the man from captivity to this demon. Jesus has come to bring deliverance. Jesus has come to set the captives free, but not all know they are in bondage. Not all want to be free. 
Now, as we look at the, the reaction of the crowd, the, the general response seems favorable. They marveled. Well, so far, so good, right? Verses 15 and 16. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. The crowd is divided, and Jesus is the dividing line. German reformer Johann Hess wrote, The great dividing line in life is what we do with Christ God's Son. Rejecting him will lead to hell. Receiving him is heaven begun. The, the person who denies God with his heart and his words and his life is just as dead as the, purpose, as the person who is demon-possessed. And the, the first group in the crowd attributed Jesus casting out of the demon to Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Now the name that is used here is that of a, a Canaanite deity, the god of Ekron, 2 Kings 1.3. He was called the Lord of the High Place. And the, the Jews mockingly renamed this false god Lord of Flies or Lord of Dung. They were saying that, that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Satan. This is slanderous. This is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And Matthew tells us that it was Pharisees, Mark, that it was scribes, that they, they couldn't dispute what Jesus was doing, so they disputed or maligned the source of his power. Well, another group within the crowd denied Jesus by testing him and looking for a sign from heaven. They were testing Jesus. We've talked about this before. This is lunacy. For, for finite mortal man, for a creature to test the creator. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe that Jesus was from heaven, so they demanded a sign from heaven. They're saying, prove it. Prove who you are. And this group is essentially committing the same sin as the first group. They're saying, though more subtly, that they do not believe that casting out the demon is a sign of the kingdom. They did not believe who Jesus is. But Jesus had just cast out a demon. What more did they want for a sign? But Jesus is going to address this kind of heart attitude more fully in verses 29 to 32. We'll, we'll see that in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. But first, Jesus addresses the slanderers. He, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and is in a divided household fall. Don't lose the fact that Jesus knew their thoughts. Ironically, his ability to supernaturally know their thoughts is another sign from heaven. But when you read that Jesus knows people's thoughts, it means that they were not thinking good thoughts. Jesus is exposing their thoughts for what they are. A kingdom divided the house divided will not stand. Division leads to destruction. Israel experienced this lesson powerfully in her own history as she divided it into the northern and the southern kingdoms. Similarly, churches that take their eyes off the main thing will also end up in division. As C.S. Lewis in his Screwtape Letters 
which were letters from a, a senior demon to a junior demon about how to ensnare a person. He, he wrote, my dear, Screwtape wrote to his nephew, Wormwood, my dear Wormwood, the real trouble about the set of your patient is living in that it is merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. Listen to this. He said that the bond among Christians is Christianity. Just Christianity. The demon continues, what we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in a state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and the new order. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychical research. Christianity and vegetarianism. Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Brothers and sisters, we need to be on guard against this, against what would divert and divide us from our mandate and our mission. And the only way to guard against this is to make sure that in our lives it is not Christianity and. The only way to do this is to make sure that your convictions are biblical. Biblical. Listen carefully. Your conscience is a guard. Your conscience is not a guide. I've spoken to many, many people who have been misguided by their consciences, either into doing things that they felt okay about or not doing things that were clearly okay. Your conscience is a guard, not a guide. Your conscience must be guided by Scripture or you will end up in division and it will lead to destruction. Division leads to destruction. Satan knows that. That's why the slanderous charge against Jesus that he's casting out demons by visible at the very least is illogical. Jesus presents three conditional statements in verses 18, 19, and 20. If who, sorry, if how, if who, and if then. Verse 18. If Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by visible. Again, Satan knows that division leads to destruction. And so he wouldn't attack his own forces by casting out his own demons. So obviously, Jesus could not be exercising demons, casting out demons by demonic power. Demonic forces fight against good, not against each other. And in verse 19, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, then by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. And so Jesus is saying, he was acknowledging that there were other, there were other Jews who were in, involved in exorcism. And, and there there's, are many resources that, that attest to this fact. But Jesus is saying here that, that if casting out demons is by, is, it's through demonic power, then the Jewish exorcists are also demonic. The accusation argues too much. But these exorcists who are actually empowered by God, Jesus implies, will condemn these slanderers. These exorcists, these Jewish exorcists, will join the men of Nineveh 
the queen of Sheba, who Jesus will speak about in verse 32, and will rise up in judgment against this generation and condemn it. So that's the, that is the first part of the argument. That's the, the if, if how and the if who. Well, now the if then, the conclusion of Jesus' argument. Verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew 12, 28 is almost identical, but, but Matthew records Jesus saying, it is by the Spirit of God. Now, it's interesting that, that Luke records these words, by the finger of God, especially since he, he so often focuses on the work of the Spirit. In fact, he's just done so in, in the previous passage. But the point is the same. Because Jesus has already proven that his exorcisms cannot be empowered by Beelzebul, they must be empowered by God. Since his exorcisms are empowered by God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom, the kingdom of God has come. The ministry of Jesus Christ is the, the demonstration of God's power and the inauguration of his kingdom. Now we, living in this time, anticipate the consummation at the return of Christ, the consummation of the kingdom of Christ. So until that time, the cosmic battle rages and the, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Now Jesus goes on to describe some principles in the battle, and in so doing, he provides us with with insight into the nature of the battle and into the demonic realm. Verses 21 to 23. A house plundered. A house plundered. Jesus presents an illustration of of a strong man guarding his palace. And this strong man guards his palace himself. He he's he is at home in his house. He's armed and dangerous. His goods are safe for now. In this case, obviously, the strong man refers to Satan. And his possessions aren't just those who are literally possessed. It is, it is all of those who are in bondage to him. Everyone who is not in Christ is in bondage to Satan. Turn with, with me for a moment to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It's a passage I trust you know well. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Apart from Christ, you were dead. You were a willing follower of Satan. You were participating in the world's rebellion against God. And you were by nature a child of wrath. That is all of us prior to coming to Christ. And if you are still apart from Christ, that's still you. You're still in bondage to Satan. And these are bonds that you cannot break. The strong man will not lose any of his captives without a fight. The devil is strong. He is stronger than you. You'll never be able to overcome him 
on your own. The sons of Sceva tried this in Acts 19. They even tried to use the name of Jesus, but it didn't go very well for them. They fled the house naked and wounded. Quite frankly, I'm very concerned when I hear people talking about rebuking the demon of this and rebuking the demon of that. I do not see any biblical warrant for it. Nowhere in the scriptures are we told to do this. We do not fight Satan ourselves. If a man attacks a child in the playground and the child's father is standing right there beside him, the father will immediately jump in to protect his son. But the son, the little boy, doesn't turn and say to his father, it's okay, dad, I've got this. He willingly receives his father's help. In order to defeat the strong man, it takes someone stronger. It takes someone stronger. It takes someone stronger than you and me. The strong man's possessions are safe until someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, soundly defeating him, taking away his armor and dividing his spoil. The Lord Jesus is stronger than Satan infinitely stronger. Jesus has always defeated Satan, and Jesus always will defeat Satan. Jesus will always crush the serpent's head. We talked about this in Luke 10, 18, when Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When did Satan fall from heaven? Was it, was it, was this fall primordial at the beginning of time? Was it when, when Jesus overcame Satan's temptation in the wilderness? Was it during the ministry of Jesus' disciples? Was it at the cross? Is it at the final judgment when Satan is cast into the lake of fire? Yes. It's all of the above. Again, while we usually associate Satan's defeat with the cross or at final judgment, he was defeated past, present, and future. He was defeated by the entire ministry of Christ and is being defeated by Christ's followers, was defeated at the cross, and will be fully and finally defeated by Christ at Christ's return. Again, from Thomas Brooks in Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. He identifies four things that should be studied in our battle, in our battle against Satan. Christ, the scripture, your own hearts, and Satan's devices. And Brooks ranks these in order. Knowing Christ and knowing the scripture are by far the most important. Without personal knowledge of Christ, you are dead. With a practical knowledge of the scriptures, you are unarmed. You need to know your allies. However, you also need to know your enemies. Failing to know your heart and failing to recognize the devil's wiles and how they are particularly targeted at you will lead to defeat. The only way to fight him and his wiles is to be fully protected with the spiritual armor that is provided for you by Christ through the gospel the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, gospel shoes, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Of God. So you are armed defensively and you are armed offensively with the word of, you're armed offensively with the sword of the spirit and with prayer. Did you memorize fighter verses so that you can quickly draw your sword out of the scabbard when the battle comes? It might not be practical in that moment to, to say, hang on a second, 
and to, to look up a verse. You need to have those verses ready in your mind and your heart to preach them to yourself in those moments so that you will overcome the devil's temptations. Likewise, how often do you pray to the Heavenly Father to lead you not into temptation and also to protect you from evil, to protect you from the evil one? Jesus declared in Matthew 16, 18, that he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, now we tend to think of this and the, 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 uh, the gates of hell prevailing as to think of, of it, the defensive posture of the church. But gates don't attack. It's the gates of hell that are actually on the defensive. Jesus came on a rescue mission. He assailed the very gates of hell to save you. Jesus will complete his mission. And as Jesus cast the demon out of the mound, out of this man, the, the crowd should have known what was going on here. They, they were witnessing the Lord Jesus crushing the serpent's head. The battle was being played out before their very eyes. The Lord of dung cannot stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Earlier I quoted Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Again, which says that you were, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following Satan. You were a child of wrath. But into the horror of those circumstances. Let's go back there. Ephesians 2. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 shines like lightning against the black of night. Verses 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Brothers and sisters, this is infinitely better than the sound of bugles when the Comanches have you surrounded. Infinitely better than the sound of naval artillery and fighter planes roaring in behind you as you storm the beaches of Normandy. This is infinitely better than the sound of helicopters as you are cut off by the Taliban. Your enemy is strong, but your ally is infinitely stronger. This is God defeating Satan. This is God defeating Satan for you. Isaiah 49, 25 and 26. For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and will, I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Redeemer, and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Jesus has defeated Satan. Jesus is defeating Satan, and Jesus will defeat Satan, but still the battle rages. Satan is still a roaring lion. To be at peace with the devil, to be is at war with God, but once you begin, begin to stand against the devil, you will feel his rage. But by God's grace, you can endure it. As Martin Luther wrote in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. But still, 
our ancient foe, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And with and armed with cruel fate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to endure undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Take heart. Whatever you are dealing with, Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger than the devil. Jesus is stronger than your sin. Jesus is stronger than the world. Jesus is stronger than COVID. Jesus is stronger than the government. Jesus is stronger than your fear. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Finally, verse 23, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus did come to bring division. Jesus did come not to bring peace, but a sword. Matthew 10, 34. There are only two sides in this fight. There is no middle ground. Switzerland and Vatican City tried to remain neutral in World War II. There's no neutrality in this war, and we know which side the Vatican City is on. Which side are you on? There is no middle ground. To not consciously and deliberately ally yourself with Jesus is to be against him. There are only two kinds of people in this world, only two. Those who are with Jesus and those who are against him. Those who have been set free from captivity the captivity of Satan and those who are still in bondage. Those who are part of the kingdom of heaven and those who are part of the kingdom of Satan. To be on God's side is to hallow his name and to advance his kingdom and to seek his will. If you are not gathering with Christ, you are scattering. There's a shift to an agricultural metaphor here. You're either bringing people into the kingdom or you are scattering them. Actually keeping them out of the kingdom. Think of your actions this past week. Have you been gathering or have you been scattering? I think the most godly among us will have to admit that we've done a little of both. A little of both. May God help us to fight the right battle by the right means through the word of God, especially the gospel and prayer. If you are lukewarm, Jesus will spew you out of his mouth. Revelation 3.16 Have you put your hand to the plow? There is no turning back. 
Have you decided to follow Jesus? There is no turning back. The world behind you, the cross before you, no turning back, no turning back. Jesus Christ has destroyed and plundered Satan's house. So walk in the victory that Christ has won for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for you are the conquering king. Lord Jesus, we we praise you that you have never been defeated and you will never be defeated by Satan or his wiles. But Lord, we come to you confessing our weakness, confessing our failure at times to see his temptation and other times to see his temptation and failing to flee. Lord, we confess that we are weak. But Lord Jesus, you are strong. We praise you that your power is made perfect in weakness. So Lord, help us in our weakness to run to you through the power of your spirit. Help us to run to you and to draw strength from you and to know that you have already won the battle for us. Help us, Lord, for the glory of your name and for the advance of your kingdom. Lord, to walk in this victory that you have won for us. Amen.